The On the Job series on the Alley on the Run show is brought to you by Tracksmith. Go to tracksmith.com slash on the run and use code on the run 15 for 15% off your first Tracksmith purchase. Welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I'm your host, Allie Feller, and I am so excited to have you here for the second episode in the seven-part On the Job series. Every week, I'll introduce you to a remarkable woman who has a cool, unique, exciting job. We'll learn about how these women got into their respective fields, we'll hear what their days are really like, and we'll find out why they're so passionate about what they do. And all these women are runners, so we'll learn how they make it all work on the job and on the run. Last week, we kicked off the series by learning everything about what it takes and means to be an archaeologist. Today, we're headed to the OR. It's Grey's Anatomy in real life. I hope you're prepared for a lot of Grey's Anatomy references on this one, by the way. Come on, I've been watching the show for 16 seasons. You can't expect me to just not talk about it all the time. Kelly McKnight is an orthopedic surgery resident, so if you do watch Grey's Anatomy, you might immediately think of Callie Torres. Justice for Callie, by the way. Miss her. So, how does real life compare to the operating rooms and those dramatic elevators at Seattle Grace? And why are only 6% of orthopedic surgeons women? Let's find out. Please join me in welcoming orthopedic surgery resident Kelly McKnight to the Alley on the Run show. Kelly, in my mind, you are the real-life Callie Torres. I'm so excited to have you here today to learn all about what you do. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Allie. I'm so excited about this and flattered. Kelly Torres rocks. Callie Torres does rock. We're going to talk about how your job compares to hers, and you know that's my like closest knowledge of what you do. So I'll let you break down how it actually compares. But before we do that, let's get a good introduction from you. Can you tell everyone who you are, where you're from, and what it is that you do? My name is Kelly McKnight. Um, I'm from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So kind of middle of nowhere, uh, heartland of the United States. And I am a PGY2 or a second year orthopedic surgery resident. All right. So I said Callie Torres. What exactly does your job entail and how close is the Callie Torres from Grey's Anatomy reference that we all have in our heads? Her running around the hospital, breaking bones, just like being a badass, doing surgery in the halls. How close is that actually to what you do? So Callie Torres is fantastic and she is an awesome representation of, I was so like of women in orthopedics. We make up the smallest proportion of it, of orthopedics, only 6% of orthopedic surgeons are female. So to have that representation on TV is fantastic. And I was like 100% team Kelly Torres. You know, the description of, you know, kind of what she does versus what we actually do. Obviously, Grey's Anatomy isn't entirely accurate to the rest of the medical profession. But um, an orthopedic surgeon cares for people with musculoskeletal problems and musculoskeletal disease that includes things like fractures, which is what we saw Kelly Torres dealing a lot with um, in the hospital setting. You know, those acute falls, the car accidents, the traumas, you know, we are the people that are in charge of getting those bones back in alignment. Um, so hopefully they heal up and people can continue to be mobile um, and can continue to ambulate and live a relatively normal life. My 
you know, orthopedics is a wide range. Um, a lot of people think orthopedics, broken bones, and that's a lot of what we do. Um, we also have a, a wide variety. So we're also the people that take care of babies with club feet. Um, we take care of total joint replacements when people need a new knee or a new hip. Um, we also do the hand surgery. So if you cut off a finger, we're the ones that try and help either sew it back on or try and figure out, okay, now what do we do with an amputated finger? How do we get these people mobilized and back to normal life? You know, we do a lot of foot and ankle, um, which helps, which deals with a lot of runners, you know, plantar fasciitis, um, tendonitis, stress fractures. Those are a lot of what we do. We do spine surgeries. So Kelly Torres, I mean, she covers a pretty good amount. Um, she has a small sliver of it. And she does a good job representing that women can do this job. We can do it really well. Um, it doesn't take a ton of brute strength to, to be an orthopedic surgeon, which I think is a common misconception. A lot of people think you just have to be super buff and manhandling things. There's a lot of finesse to it. And I think Kelly Torres demonstrated both sides of that, um, you know, being strong as well as, you know, the finesse with it too. So yeah, she's a great representation. I was so bummed when they got rid of her on Grey's Anatomy. That was like <laughs> the worst. And now they have some guy doing it, which is like filling all the stereotypes and is kind of a bummer. But yeah, she was a great representation. Do better, Shonda. Shonda Rhimes. Yeah, come, come on, on, Shonda. How dare you? But also, I mean, truly do better, Shonda. The show is, okay. is facing real rough times right now. <laughs> Honestly, yes, it is. It is so sad. I watch it. I know it's not accurate, but I'm like... You know, it's it's kind of fun to like turn it on and like you can kind of like turn off your brain. You're like, oh, suspend, you know, reality for a bit. I still watch it and I'm like super bummed about how it's going. I know. Who are we even rooting for? I literally hate every Seriously. single character at this point. I, I do too. Honestly, I'm like, this is the worst. Just just keep Meredith and like everybody else you can get rid of. No and one Link. else matters. And Link. I like him. Yeah. He's adorable. Right. Um, yeah. Yes. Okay. Anyway, we could easily talk about Grey's Anatomy, but let's talk about you. So you mentioned this 6% statistic, which is obviously an incredibly low number. And you mentioned some of the reasons for that. But why? what are some of the biggest reasons that you think that women aren't going into ortho or that they don't see themselves represented in the field? Yeah. So, you know, 6% is extremely low. Um, if you look at medical schools in general over like around 50% of medical students are now women, which is fantastic. That was like a new thing that had recently changed where now women make up half of medical school um, students, which is awesome. But it's like, okay, you know, we've been steadily increasing our women in medicine, which is awesome. But now why hasn't that increase happened in orthopedics? We've seen more women enter fields like neurosurgery and urology, um, general surgery. So it's not really, you know, a question of, well, they just don't want to put in the time. You know, surgery residencies are longer. Um, neurosurgery is a seven-year program. And this is kind of, and orthopedics is five. This is kind of the time in life when people start, you know, like, oh, I want to have some kids or I want to, have an income. I'm finally getting paid. I'm not paying to go to school. So there was question of, well, are women not going into ortho because, you know, surgery is longer. They want to have kids, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not the case. They're still going into things like urology and neurosurgery that are surgical specialties that require time. So then you kind of start to think, okay, why just, why aren't they picking us? 
And I think a lot of it, there's been a lot of research on this, you know, whether it's due to a lack of mentors, which I think is uh, probably a large part of it. It's hard to be what you can't see. And there's not a lot of, you know, women in Sioux Falls, there was one um, female orthopedic surgeon. And I just kind of thought growing up, like, that's just how it is in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. This is a small state, you know, there's just not, you know, if I were to be somewhere bigger, there'd be more. And that's just like, not really the case. So I just think that there's not a lot of mentors. And I think that there's a lot of misconception. Um, A lot of people, like I had said, think that it requires brute strength. And we're like, oh, am I strong enough to do that? Yes, one, you're, yes, you're strong enough to do it. But two, it also isn't just who can bench press like 900 pounds, like that's not going to help you reduce a hip, like sometimes putting it back in place requires some finesse and technique. Um, I also think too, a big part of women, you know, not being in the field has to do with the fact that sometimes the men in the field aren't the most supportive. Um, You know, when I was interviewing for medical school, I was told that women could never be an orthopedic surgeon. Like that's just not something they could do in my interview. I was told that by an orthopedic surgeon. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. Super bad. Super frustrating. That was, you know, just so disheartening. And to hear that out the get go, you know, no, you can't do this. Wait, why? You know, his his reasoning was, well, women should like want to be home and you should be, you know, in the kitchen. Yeah, it was really bad. It was super offensive. And it took me off guard in this interview being told, like, no, you're not going to do this. And I remember just being like, how do you respond to this in a professional setting? Like, I really wanted to just like storm like out and just be like, screw you. But I mean, you can't obviously do that in a professional setting. So my answer back was, you know, I think that it's challenging, but I think a lot of careers in medicine are challenging to begin with. And I think that, you know, if this is what I decide that I want to do, I'm going to do it and I will be just fine at it. So it's, you know, you have those people that are loud. Those are the people saying you can't do this are really loud in orthopedic surgery. And it's hard to find those mentors that are just like, no, girl, you can do this. Like, let's get you in here. So I think that it's a lot of things that are preventing women from being in the field. Um, I think it all, like, there are all things we can change. Like we can, we just, we need to be better. That's what it boils down to. That is insane. And I really hope that you know who that person was and you can reach out and just like send a business card and be like hey just fyi i'm thriving right one of my mentors in med school like i had told him that story because i was like what is this about like i this is awful and he was like you should send him your diploma when you graduate from residency like this is not okay and it's not and you know whether sometimes people don't you know, he was so outright saying his bias, like he was very forthcoming about it. And I feel like, you know, that's kind of you have a lot of those people in that camp screaming, no, you can't. But there's also people that are are silently kind of trying to do that. You know, when we interview women, you know, for positions in orthopedics, it's like, well, can she do it? Or, you know, how does she compare to the other women when it should be? How does she compare to the rest of the group? So, you know, that's kind of stuff we need to work on. Those are biases. Those are things that we can we can do better and it will better the field of orthopedics in general. Wow. All right. So it sounds like you were very determined to make this career happen for yourself. Is this what young Kelly knew she wanted to do, like breaking bones and popping shoulders into place? 
Yes. Perfect descriptions. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of did. I, for a while in my life, I really wanted to be a writer. Um, I, I don't know why I used to write like tons of little fake stories like by myself, but then like, I was always kind of interested in my friends that were getting injured. Like why were they hurt? And like, why was that person on crutches? And what are they going to do to fix your broken elbow? And like, how does that person, they're in a wheelchair and now they're going to be walking. Like, how does that work? So that was like kind of always an interest for me. Um, when I got to high school, I took an AP bio class and like, it was not, I, I expected something different than what it was, but I loved what it, what it actually ended up being. You know, we had this lecture, I remember it being on this cell and you know how like our body tries to maintain homeostasis. So like the same things outside like to be the same things inside and water can move across the cell, but sugar requires a different, you know, membrane protein. This is extremely simplified. But because yeah, sugar, this, yeah. this is so simple. I totally understand so what you're saying. Yeah, well, because, you know, sugar can't move. So then water comes out of the cell and like that's how you can dehydrate yourself and you drink pop. It was something to that effect. And I was like, oh, man, that's really interesting. Like, that is really cool. Like, how does that how, what? So then I kind of thought, you know, maybe I want to pursue a career in medicine. Maybe this is something that I like. You know, and it took some shadowing, you know, spending some time with physicians in their settings to be to really decide, like, yeah, this is something that I want to commit my life to doing. It is such like medicine itself, getting to the point to becoming a doctor and actually like practicing is such a long, like it's a long trail. Like it's really long. So, you know, it took a lot of time and there's still a lot of <laughs> questioning, like, ah, what did I get myself into? But you know, it's, it's been good. This is when I look back at young Kelly to where I am now, I think she would be proud of where I am. Oh, I think she definitely would be. So I want to talk about that long road that you mentioned. And I, I'm going to keep in my head going back to Gray's just because I feel like that's how I've learned the basics, right? And so I'm like, okay, you go to med school for, you know, you go to college, you go to undergrad, you go to med school, then you're an intern, then you're a resident, then you're an attending. And attending is like, you know, unless you're chief of surgery, which obviously top dog, but like attending, that's the Derek Shepard, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you break down what has the schooling looked like for you? What's most common? Is that path that I just described accurate? And what is, you know, you mentioned earlier, uh, kind of the five years program. What does Mm -hmm. that mean? Are you getting paid during that time? Are you paying to be a student during that time? What is it all? How does it all break down? Yeah. So your description is like that is spot on. Um, you know, it's, it's four years of undergrad. Sometimes people, you know, will take a victory lap and do five or six. Um, people then go on to med school, which is a four year, which again can sometimes be longer. So sometimes people will want to do, you know, an MD and then they get their like JD, which is like Juris doctor. So they're like a lawyer and a physician, or they'll want to get their PhD. So they're like, you know, a medicine, we call it like a doctor scientist or scientist doctor. Um, Sometimes people want to get their master's of public health. So for the most part, med school is four years. Um, And I guess I should also mention too, so medical school can either be osteopathic medicine or allopathic. So that's your difference in someone saying, oh, I'm I'm a doctor, I'm a DO. Or someone saying, I'm a doctor, I'm an MD. So it's either a medical doctor or doctor of osteopathic medicine. 
Um, I did the MD, which is medical doctor. Um, and that's a four year, mine was a four year. I didn't do any of the extra, you know, extraneous degrees. Um, when you're in your fourth year of med school, you do interviews for residency and those are in like your specialties. So medical school really gives you just like a foundation, the basics. It's like a general undergrad, like basic degree. It's like what you would do in two years, spread out into four with clinicals. Um, so it's a foundation degree and then you go on and you have to decide, okay, do I want to be a family practice doctor? Do I want to be an orthopedic surgeon? Do I want to do, you know, pathology, obstetrics? Um, you know, there's psychiatry, there's such a variety in programs and most programs for residency are three to seven years long. Um, the ones that are like three years are going to be your things like family medicine, internal medicine, um, it kind of varies. Most surgical things are, like I said, five to seven years. Um, and then after you complete your residency, then most people in orthopedics go on to a fellowship, which is an additional year. Um, within residency itself, you have your intern year as your first year. And then the remaining however many years, you're just like, they just call you a resident, not really an intern. Um Med school, obviously you, you pay for, I'm like $240,000 in debt from that. Um, but then when you start residency, you start getting paid, which is like super nice. Like it's like, yes, I'm finally getting a paycheck. Um, I think most salaries like are around like 50 to $60,000 a year, um, which like that's, that's so nice to finally have a salary. And like, that's a pretty good salary. Um, we work 80 hours a week on average um, over a four week period. So some weeks you're doing like 100 hours a week, as long as you dial it back to 60 hours, um, like the following however many weeks. Um, so if you like divvy out the math and like do like your 50,000 divided by X hours, like it's really not much per hour, but still it's exciting to get a paycheck every two weeks. Like I'm thrilled about it. Um, and then people usually, like I had said, like, you know, sometimes they'll go on to a fellowship. Sometimes they won't. It kind of depends what, you know, kind of medicine they want to practice. And then you're in attending. Um, and then I think the salary <laughs> jump up from that is a lot better. But yeah, your description was like spot on. Um, you know, Grey's Anatomy depicts those interns. You know, I still like remember the first episode with Dr. Weber saying, you know, like your intern year is going to be hard. Some of you won't last. And I, you know, I think that was like super scary when I first watched it. And then when I was an intern last year, it was terrifying because it was like, oh, what do I expect? This is going to be so hard. But it is like a tough, you know, transition. Residency is really tough. Um, the hours are really long. It's lonely because I don't think a lot of people understand the process of it. And I also think, too, it can be hard. I have friends that are at other programs that maybe aren't as kind to them and maybe you know, bend the rules a little bit. So it's, you know, it, it can be really hard. It's a long process to get to being actually a practicing physician and a practicing like surgeon who can just practice on their own. During residency, it's never, there's never a time that you're alone doing something. Um, you know, in the OR, we're often with our attending, you know, if we're doing parts of a procedure or doing the procedure, it's the attending walking us along with them. Um, and I think that that's really good. It's nice to have that backup and it's nice to have five years of that backup because it's a lot to learn. So I'm thankful for that. All right. So 100 hour weeks, what does that look like? Is it seven days on long days? Is it like 48 hour shifts? What, how does that break down? 
Yeah, so that can that can be a variety of ways. Um, they have mandated our shift length now to you can it's like a maximum of 24 hours plus like a four hour you can have like a handoff kind of like extra four hours for like continuation of patient care. So like someone new is coming on and you're going to like give them report and tell them like, these are my patients. This is what we're doing for them. This is what you should expect to do today. These are the things I'd be worried about. So it's like 24 hour shifts like are kind of the maximum. Um, and when you have those, you're like mandated to have, you know, X amount of hours off. So like hundred hour weeks are usually like six days, seven days, putting in like a ton of hours, um, like long days with that. I feel like most of my shifts up here, though, I think the most that I put in is like 83, 84 hours a week, um, which is like, that's, I'm happy with that. But I have friends that are at other programs where it gets to be a little bit more. You're also supposed to have one day off in seven, but that's also averaged over a four week period. So sometimes like friend, I have you know, my husband is a neurology resident and they'll do, you know, seven days or 14 straight days, but then they get two days off, which is called a golden weekend. And then that satisfies the requirement. So it's, there's a lot of rules. There's a lot of regulations. If you talk to physicians that trained before these new rules, they'll tell you how it's gotten so soft and everybody now that's in it is so weak um, you know, because we're not doing 130 hour shifts, but it really wasn't safe to be working that much. And so it's nice to have these rules in place that kind of help protect us, but most importantly, help protect our patients. You know, that's not safe to have someone operating on you after they've been up for so long. You know, those situations do happen in life. And that is a thing that, you know, attendings do have to deal with from time to time. But, you know, as a resident, when we're learning, that's not really a very safe situation. I mean, that was my first thought is that if I'm your patient and listen, I trust you, you're a brilliant doctor. But if you're coming to me at hour 82 of your 83 hour week, like I I know you don't tell the patient that, but like I want a well-rested doctor and I'm just wondering and I'm sure I'm not the first person to wonder this. Why are we doing this to our doctors? Why are we making them? Is there a shortage of doctors? And so we need you to be working round the clock or I mean it just seems cruel I want you to be well rested you're literally keeping people alive and fixing them why do you have to work so much right right um you know that is also another that's a very hot topic of debate if you look at training over in Europe their training for like orthopedic surgery is a process like I think they're like residency they have a different name for it over there but it's like seven or eight years, like it's a long time, but they don't do as many hours a week. So, you know, there's a lot of debate of, okay, are we training residents in the correct manner? Should this be a process that maybe we don't have a set end time? Like maybe it's not, you know, do five years and then you're done. Maybe it should be something like do, you know, so many procedures be, you know, at X proficiency of them and then you can graduate you know, maybe we should do that instead of focusing on time, instead of focusing on hours, you know, but then there's also people in the school of thought that, well, when you're practicing attending, you're not going to have anybody to come, you know, bail you out. You won't have another resident to come in and take your place on call. So you need to learn how to do these procedures and these things while you're a little bit tired. You have to train your brain to say, no, like we're not tired. We need to figure out 
you know, how to treat this fracture. We need to figure out how to, what to do with this trauma patient. We need to figure this out for this person. Their life depends on it. And it requires you to be at the top of your game, even when you're at hour 83. Um, you know, so there's school of thought in that, you know, maybe that's, you know, pushing yourself a little bit further and keeping your mind sharp, you know, still practicing how to be safe in those scenarios. But I also, I, I agree with you. I, I think that, you know, it's, no one wants to be the patient that's at hour, you know, 95 of someone's 100 hour week. Like that just doesn't seem, you know, super safe, but there, this is, that's kind of where we're at now in America. And, you know, as about your question, is there a doctor shortage? You know, there, there isn't enough physicians. Um, and that's, that's very true. We need more in America. You know, we're increasing the amount of medical school spots, which is really good. Um, but after med school, you graduate and you have like your MD or your DO, kind of like I said, but you're not allowed to practice medicine in the United States until you've done a residency program. Um, so we're increasing these medical school spots, but we're not increasing the amount of spots for residencies. So we have a lot like there are people that are sitting around that graduated from medical school that haven't or can't go on to residency because they didn't match into a spot for them. So, you know, we need to increase the residency numbers. And I think that, you know, that will help kind of, te- you know, knock away at that physician shortage. Um, but, yeah, I think until the time being, like, this is kind of where we're at. I don't I'm not crazy about the hours. I think if you ask any resident, they're going to tell you it's like the worst. Like they don't have time for really much else. Um, but this is <laughs> kind of how they've mandated our training and kind of what we're stuck with. So is everyone just like super hopped up on coffee? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of coffee. A lot of those people like those five-hour energy drinks. Ugh, I, ugh, I just can't, can't do any of that. My, I don't. I still haven't gotten into coffee yet either. I just like run on pure stress and adrenaline. Just sweat <laughs> all the time. Just anxiety keeps me fueled. So yeah. Quick break in the surgery talk to chat about our sponsor for the On the Job series, Tracksmith. I'm thrilled to be teaming up with Tracksmith, one of my favorite brands and one of the most respected brands in the running industry. Tracksmith is a Boston-based apparel brand led by a group of runners, so everything they make is for runners, by runners. Needless to say, they get it. They're committed to making cool, functional running clothes for the amateur athlete, like me, like you, like Kelly McKnight here. The runners and designers at Tracksmith know that we're busy, but they also know that we really care about our running. If you don't own any Tracksmith gear yet, you can probably recognize it. It's preppy, it's sporty, it's very New England. Those long sleeve shirts and tanks with the thick diagonal stripe from the shoulder to the hip, that's Tracksmith. The red, white, and blue outfits that so many of the runners at the Olympic trials were wearing, Tracksmith. The Tracksmith Spring Collection just dropped, and you should go check it out at a discount. Go to tracksmith.com slash on the run and use code on the run 15 at checkout to get 15% off your first Tracksmith order. That's tracksmith.com slash on the run using code on the run 15 for 15% off your purchase. And then let me know what you decide to get. I want to talk about it. Happy shopping. Let's get back to Kelly McKnight. With those crazy hours, when are you running? Yeah, that 
has has been a struggle. Um, I felt like last year on my intern year, they have you do a lot of general surgery rotations, um, which, you know, those are like, you know, like your bowels. um, That's those are the people that like manage those like the trauma patients. And their hours are like, I felt I feel like way worse. So my running last year when I was on those rotations was super sporadic, like kind of take it as you get it. So, you know, usually I'd have to be over at the hospital by like five or five thirty in the morning rounding on patients, which no patient likes being woken up that early. But if you're not there, then, you know, it, it hurts the rest of the day. The rest of the team gets grumpy anyway. So you're there rounding and waking up these poor patients. You know, I'm always like, are you, are you in pain? And like trying to like whisper to them while they're like snuggled in and they're like, no. And so I'm like, okay, quick exam. You know, I'll, I'll see you at 8 a.m. when we're actually rounding as a team. Um, I would, you know, go see them at like 5 a.m. We round as a team. We do notes, take consults, get pages all day long. Um, you know, maybe sometimes get time for lunch. Sometimes hopefully get out of there by like 4.30 or 5. Um, and then I would run in the evenings after. I like to run in the mornings. I prefer to run in the mornings. But right, like that's just not how my schedule really works right now. I'm hoping that'll change as I progress in my training and maybe get some more time in the, you know, from doing some of those kind of busy, more busy work kind of things. Um, but it's kind of nice also to decompress after a long day to just go for a nice run and just kind of forget everything. Um, I usually end up thinking about my patients, <laughs> so which for better or worse, I don't know. I sometimes I'm like, oh, why didn't I do this? Or I should have said that or you know, I wonder if this person, how they're doing with this. Um, I spend a lot of time thinking about them on my runs, which is a good distraction, uh, but definitely, you know, gives me something to think about. Um, right now I'm on more orthopedic uh, rotations my second year, which is nice. As you progress, you get to do more in the OR, but also more rotations within my specialty. So from now until the, I'm done, it's going to be strictly orthopedics, which is good. Um, our day typically begins at like 6.30, we have morning conference. Um, so I, if I can, I'll get up at 4 a.m. and I'll go for a run. If it's, I know it's going to be a busy day. Um, otherwise, I'll get up, you know, just pretty much before nothing is too far away here in Fargo. Um, I'll get up at 6 a.m. and drive to conference. And then we'll have surgeries all day um, or clinic. I'll do a couple days of clinic every week. Usually surgeries, it depends on what field you're in. If you're in hand, sometimes we'll do, you know, eight or nine really quick procedures. If we're on things like joints and reconstruction, sometimes those like reconstructing a knee can take a while. And so sometimes we'll only do three or four surgeries a day. Um, typically done by about 5, 5.30. Some days it's longer. If I'm on call and I'm on till 10 and then I don't usually get a run in on those days. Um, but uh, like I said, usually if I'm done by like 5.30 or a little later, I'll still try and go for a run, um, try and find something for dinner and then spend the rest of my night studying. So it's kind of a cluster. It's to be a lot. Yeah. You're amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I just been trying to get more people, you know, orthopedic surgery is a, a great field. I really like it. I'm trying to get more people to like see that. You know, it's a field that while it's a lot of people think like it's just strong as an ox and half as smart is kind of the joke for orthopedics. But like we're people with pretty fun personalities. Like, you know, there's a lot of runners and orthopedic surgery and like people that are interested in sports and people that aren't too like 
we're fun. We have hobbies. We care. I'm just trying to spread that news alley. <laughs> well, you're doing a great job. And I loved in um, in the Alley on the Run show Facebook group, you spurred this whole great discussion about being a woman in ortho. And yeah. a few of the um, PTs and nurses and doctors in the group were chiming in. And one thing I loved and was really eye-opening to me is you talked about how being a woman, being part of that 6%, what you bring to ortho. And the example you yeah. gave was that you have patients who say, after surgery, how do I put on my bra? Things that mm-hmm. men probably can't address and also don't think of. So can you talk about yes. some of those things that being a woman in ortho, why women are great in the field and what are some of the things that you can offer to your patients that your male counterparts might not? Right. Yeah. That example happens on a regular basis. Um, you know, being a woman in ortho, we, we have female athletes. We have a lot of female athletes and like, we'll go to the colleges and we'll see their athletes for their injuries and sports checkups and things like that. And, you know, things that my male colleagues don't think to ask, or maybe don't seem as like, I don't know, as open to discussing, you know, a lot of women will tell me and they won't tell them. So things like, you know, I haven't gotten my period in like three months or like it's not regular or I, you know, I'm struggling with like what I'm eating, you know, orthopedic surgery. Yes, we're fixing fractures and we do obviously a lot of surgery, but we also manage things like that too, like stress fractures and, you know, that, you know, female female athlete triad, that's something we see and that's something that's common. And I don't feel like my male counterparts are maybe sometimes as comfortable discussing those things or they're not asking those questions. Um, You know, it's the things like putting on a bra after shoulder surgery. Like that's another thing that I feel like those, those pieces of the conversation are getting missed. And, you know, whether that's, you know, I think it's just that they don't know, Um, you know, they don't understand the fact that, you know, a a lot of bras clasp in the back, well, how are you going to do that when you're when we're telling you you can't internally rotate your shoulder past neutral? You know, how do you how do you get that arm back there? OK, well, let's think let's talk about doing like a front clasping bra and twi- twi- twisting it around or, a, you know, a back clasping, twisting it around, um, you know, things like you should wear a button down shirt after surgery because you're not going to be able to get your arms up over your head. You know, questions like how do I do my hair? You know, now that I can't use my arms, Um there's a lot of things in orthopedics that I feel like kind of don't get addressed and patients, you know, whether they think to ask or whether they don't ask, you know, or they just try and jerry rig something on their own. Like that's just a huge disservice to them. I think, Um, you know, there's parts that we're missing that we can be serving these patients better if we just address these things. You know, I had had a patient that was telling me that they dislocated their hip because they were trying to shave their ankle okay, like, yeah, like, I don't want you in that position to shave like your ankle. So like, let's, let's talk about how we can fix this. And it was like, no one ever told me that, like, I never thought of it. So I think that, you know, having more women in the field will will help these patients, it'll prevent some of these injuries that we are seeing. Um, And I do think that it will help, you know, women as a whole, like, okay, let me discuss my bone health, like, maybe like, are my elderly patients that fall and break their hips? okay, you know, like, why, you know, what can I do differently as a woman? What can I, what should I be focusing on when I discharge to my house or to my home? You know, these are things that I don't think my male colleagues necessarily address all the time. And I think that that's, we can do better with that. Um, I loved on that page when everybody was like, yeah, like, 
how do I do my makeup after I have my, my shoulder done? Or like when I can't move my hand from carpal tunnel surgery or from this, like it's really, it's a struggle. And it's like, yeah, I can provide some insight into that. And I'm happy when patients do bring that up because I, I think that, you know, otherwise they're missing out on that. And, you know, you can only find so much on Google and YouTube. So I'm happy to, you know, find a solution for them. Well, you're doing a great job advocating for women in ortho. You're like making me believe that I should go into this field. Yes. Which, no, yes, I Allie. can't. I'll pass out if I see blood. You want me in an, in an <laughs> OR? Yeah, right. But I will be your number one fan and supporter and cheerleader. Yes. And I would love for you to give a message to any of the women listening who, in any field they've been in or specific to ortho, if they've been in a position where they're sitting in an interview and someone tells them, no, you shouldn't go into this field. What do you tell them? Oh, that <laughs> is just, it's just the worst. Like, I can't believe that people say that. And I'm someone that I am so fueled by people telling me I can't do things. Like, I hate it when people say that. And I just think that that's wrong. And like, just to pass a judgment on someone is just, I just think that that's wrong. So if someone tells you that in an interview, whether it's orthopedic surgery residency, which I hope it is, yay, please come join me. Or like, you know, another field if someone's like, no, like you can't do that. Women can't do that. Like I just, no, like use that fuel as like, just to fuel your fire. Like just, I, I almost think that that should be something that spurs you even further and I also think that that should be something that maybe that's not where you want to be like if that's in an actual job interview maybe that's not a good place to be working and maybe that's a place where you say like I risk I don't even want to say I respect your opinion because your opinion is trash um <laughs> you know I I I guess like we have differing viewpoints on this and then I would say to those women like do it anyway like you are so capable you can totally do it you know, I feel like on a couple of your episodes you've had this kind of message of you belong. And like that, I think is super powerful. And that is something that I tell myself regularly. I was so scared the first time that I was handed this scalpel in, in the operating room because I was like, here it is. Like, am I actually good enough? Like, here's where it meets. And like, you are so good enough. You can totally do it. You belong. You are worthy. You are enough. You can totally do this. And I think that that's something you need to just tell yourself. Even on the days you don't believe it, I just repeat that to myself constantly. And I think that that helps. And even if you're scared to do something like, oh, well, this person thinks, you know, I can't do this. Like, I'm kind of nervous too now. Do it afraid. Like, that is the majority of life is doing things afraid. And you can totally do it. I know this just turned into like a pump up speech. I hope whoever is listening to this, like as they're running is just like, sprinting down the street like yeah I can do it because you can I wish you could see my face right now I'm like so pumped up it's eight o'clock in the morning and I'm like <laughs> yeah. I, I listen I love that you're in ortho and I I get that you love your profession but man if you ever change your mind become a motivational speaker <laughs> yes, like, this yes. is gold right now yes okay oh. so All about it you mentioned that first time holding the scalpel. Tell me about your first time in the OR. That's like, a, again, a big deal on Gray's is when they get to make their first cut. That's like right. everyone's in the gallery. Do you have galleries? Is that a real thing? <laughs> I think some bigger hospitals have those. We don't have them up here. And I haven't seen them at any of the hospitals that I've been at. But actually, like a big thing, and especially right now with like 
you know, COVID-19 going on is like telemedicine. And there's actually the capability on our light handles, like the big lights that come in and light up, you know, the knee, the hip, whatever. You can actually like plug cameras into those. And so sometimes we'll like, you know, you can record a, a surgery and like, you know, kind of walk people through. And like, that's sometimes what people will use for training. Um, but yeah, like the first time you get handed the scalpel is kind of like the nerve, nerve wracking thing. Um, you know, the first time I was ever in an OR, it was actually in an orthopedic surgery procedure when I was back in undergrad. Um, and I was with a surgeon that, you know, he was a family friend that was kind of like, yeah, you can come hang out with me and ended up being like a huge champion for me within orthopedics. But like, I appreciate everything he did so much. But like that first time like that you're in there and you're like, wow, like this is someone is entrusting their life their hip, their knee, their hand, whatever to me. And it is up to me to do my best to, you know, fix it or make it feel better or whatever it is. And, you know, like that's, that's powerful. And so like thinking of it that way, I think is really just like, Ooh, wow. It like gives you the chills. So the first time, like my first surgery that I ever scrubbed into was a hip replacement and I will like always remember it. And that was like a crazy thing. Like this person had a terrible hip, like their arthritis was so bad and it looked like it wasn't moving well and it looked like it hurt. And to, you know, take it, we essentially take it out. We replace it with metal and plastic and like they could walk like after that surgery, like it's going to be a little painful after, obviously after surgery, but they're going to be able to move so much better. Like that's amazing. Um, the first time in residency that I was like handed, you know, the scalpel to, okay, go ahead. You know, I think it was for something like an incision and drainage. Like it wasn't something like super dramatic, like on grays when they're like, I'm going to remove a tumor from the scapula. Like that's insane. That's, that's very rare. But like my procedure was something that was really small, but it was still really scary, you know, just because it's like, this is something like, you know, it, it, it kind of, like I said, brings everything to a head of, you know, can I do this? Like, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where, you know, it it comes down to everything. So it was, it was nerve wracking, but it's also, like I said, really powerful because this is someone entrusting their life, their arm, their limb, you know, to me. And like, that is so powerful. You know, the thing I love about orthopedic surgery is that we're, our focus is a lot of returning people to function. You know, these aren't the patients that you're doing the surgeries on because they're critically ill. These are the patients that, you know, I want to get back to playing sports or I fell and I broke my hip and, or I was in a car accident or my hand goes numb. Like this is returning them back to function. And I love that about orthopedic surgery, but it also has, you know, pressure for that too. You want to give that athlete the best ACL that you can. So they can play hard. You want to fix that hip as best you can, because you want that grandma to be able to walk. So, you know, there's certainly a lot of pressure, but it's also, like I said, kind of telling yourself like, I'm going to be afraid whether I do this now or whether I do this in five, five years or five months. Like this is, this is the time I am trained. I am skilled. I am good enough. Let's go. What makes this your dream job? Oh, I love, I love orthopedics because like I had said, like it's, it's a variety of patients. There's all ages. If you want it to be, you know, some people will focus just on peds ortho, which fantastic some you can do everything from pediatrics all the way up to like elderly patients you can do tumors and you know there are a lot of cancer metastasizes to bone okay how do we fix this how do we make it so these patients can walk and put weight on their legs um there's such a variety i love 
everything about it because of that. I like the sports medicine. I love working with athletes and getting them back to performing at their best. Um, I love hand surgery because it's so, you know, it's delicate. There's small blood vessels, there's small nerves in there. Um, but it's also like returning function. We use our hands to create, we use it to express and communicate. And if it's not working well, like that's a problem. And so I love hand surgery for that. I love joints because that there's, you know, patients that aren't able to mobilize that you can get them walking and feeling so much better. You know, orthopedics is great because there's so much variety in it. Um, a lot of orthopedic surgeons end up specializing. And I right now I'm kind of leaning towards like a hand and upper extremity kind of field. Um, but, you know, like there's women all over in it and you can do so much with it as a whole. Um, so I love orthopedics for that reason. And I also really like that for the most part, my patients are happy. Like they're like, thank, thank you for fixing my hip. And like, thank you for helping my hand not be numb. That's fantastic. And you don't get that in all fields of medicine. It's so cool. You're like, you are, you're a mix of Cali Torres and um, who's Bill Hader's character in Trainwreck? Oh. Mm, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes, the Amy Schumer movie where he works yes. with the Knicks. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Whatever his name is. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think of it from, you know, I obviously can't picture myself in your role, but I think about it from a potential patient's perspective and they're going to you, your patients are coming to you. And I mean, any patient, right? They either want, they want answers, they want a diagnosis and they want to be fixed or healed. Is there exactly. a pressure that comes with that? Are you ever worried will I know how to fix this person? Or is it like you can see a problem and you know how to fix it? You know, that's a little bit of both. I think some, like sometimes in medicine, you know, when you're learning the physical exam, they teach you, you know, your first step is to like inspect, like you look, you know, how do things look? Are there scars? How's their skin? Do they have any suspicious marks? I think sometimes in orthopedics, like I can see, I can literally see a problem and say, Ooh, we need to fix that. You know, people will lose muscle in their thumb when they have carpal tunnel. And if it's advanced enough, the muscle like kind of on that pad of your thumb along the palm will start to like degenerate and get really thin. Um, and so sometimes like it's problems like that that I'm like, OK, that's something we need to maybe work on. Or people, when they break bones, obviously things don't point the right direction or, you know, bones sometimes come out of the skin. So sometimes there are problems that are like, yep, that's a problem. And I know that we can make that better for sure. But it, there is, you know, pressure as well in medicine to, you know, fix everything and fix everyone. And sometimes I might not be the person for that. Um, you know, a lot of patient satisfaction surveys are kind of becoming a part of our daily life. You know, were they satisfied with their visit? Did they like what you had to say? And I think that that's super important. Like as a patient myself, like I want to, you know, trust my doctor. I want to feel like I'm in good hands and I want to feel like I'm getting better. Um, but sometimes it's really hard to make people better. And sometimes that's just because there's a lot going on, you know, whether that's, you know, psychosocial problems or whether that's just multiple medical conditions that compound, you know, it can be really hard to fix everything. I, you know, am in orthopedics because I like that. I like fixing people, but it, but it is hard. Um, you know, sometimes neuropathy can be from multiple causes. You know, is it from your neck? Is it from your carpal tunnel? Do you have diabetes? You know, like there's a lot of things that can all contribute to it. And I think that that does make it hard. Um, but, you know, there is a lot of really satisfying stuff within orthopedics too. 
you know, like releasing the, like, I keep coming back to this, but like, this is such a good example, like releasing the carpal tunnel when it's been, you know, scarred down and it makes like a crunching kind of sound. Like you're like, yeah, I bet that you did have hand numbness. Like it, there's no room. Like I bet that this will feel so much better or, you know, a broken bone or a torn ACL, you know, those are really satisfying to fix, but sometimes it's the problems where there's maybe a couple things going on. Those can be really hard to tease out. And it's frustrating too, when you can't be the one that fixes, you know, like, Oh, I want to be the one that fixes this. How come I can't figure it out or you're not doing better? You know, and that's when I think as we as physicians have to step back and say, okay, let's see if maybe we need to go down a different path. Maybe we need to try something different. Maybe let me ask someone else for second opinion or ask someone else for advice. Um, I think that that's, you know, there's power in that. And I think that that's important for patients. You know, it's not about me as a physician looking good. It's the patient doing well. That's at the end of the day, that's all I care about. If I have to send them somewhere else for that to happen, that's what has to happen. That's amazing. All right. Is it bad that I crack my knuckles? No, no, it's not. I know that that's the thing everybody thinks like, well, get arthritis, but no, you can crack your knuckles. Those are just air bubbles within like the joint fluid that kind of pop themselves. So no, go right ahead. But if it hurts, don't do it, which sounds like stupid advice. But like a lot of times you have to remind people that like, if it hurts, don't do it. (laughs) Or like, oh, I've done this 15 times and now it hurts. Don't do it. Like, just, just quit that. Like, don't, then don't do it for a while. Yeah. All right, yeah. Good. No, girl, you're fine. Yeah. Oh, I love cracking my knuckles. My parents would always tell me to stop. So right. Oh, I'm going to tell know. them that you said it's fine. I also exactly. want to know, you're on your feet for a thousand hours a day. Yeah. What are you wearing on your feet? I'm always fascinated by what doctors, nurses, surgeons, what they choose for their footwear of choice. What's on your feet during those long days? Yes. I, as a med student, I used to just wear like, you have to wear like booties over your shoes, like no matter what. So I would just wear like sneakers or whatever and like regular socks. And I was like, gosh, why do my feet hurt so bad? And then I started using compression socks and my life has been forever changed. Um, I will wear compression socks like every single, like if I'm in the OR, like every single time, if I'm in the clinic, I will still try and get away with it if I can. Sometimes it's hard to like make it look cute. You know, if you want like an open toed, like shoe, like, you know, like a flat or something like that. Like it's hard to rock a compression sock with that. Um, but I do a lot of compression socks. Um, I also, I feel like there's different camps in medicine for footwear. If you like search on Twitter, um, it's like, it's like a med Twitter elite eight shoe wear thing this was like a contest that like people in medicine were voting on like super nerdy but it was like what's the best footwear and you know it's like some people are in cowboy boots and like that's what they like or cowgirl boots um people really like dance goes which are like those clogs I haven't gotten into those I tried them once and they were like really clunky and like I almost like broke my ankle um you know people really like crocs but if you're doing like a surgery that has like quite a bit of like blood or fluid, like your, your toes are going to get wet if you wear the whole one. I know. Um, (laughs) Sneakers also make it hard for that reason, because you're like, they want like your feet to breathe, but then like, you know, I don't want that stuff on my toes. So like, what do I do? Um, I normally wear sneakers. Like I am someone like I'll wear like Brooks, like I'll do like glycerin or I'll try and do something with like some good cushion to it. Um, And my compression socks, my feet still sometimes do get sore at the end of the day, but I think that, you know, it's tolerable. Like it's not, you know, bad enough where it's like, oh, my toes are really bad, but I just can't get into like any of the other things like the Crocs or the dance goes, but that's super popular within the hospital. 
What I really wish would happen would be like someone like Chacos. Like I love those like sandals. I wish that they would make those with like a covered toe and like a heel, like a back. Cause I would wear those. Those would be super comfortable. They don't make them. All right. Well, let's hit them up. Let's everyone yeah. head over, hit them up on social media. We'll make our plea and we'll exactly. see what we can do. At Chacos. That's right. <laughs> All right. So the last thing that I want from you, normally in these episodes, I'm asking for advice for anyone listening who might think, wow, that's a field I want to go into. I feel like you've already given us the best advice, the greatest pep talk. So I'm going to flip it for anyone listening, because we know that there are thousands of runners who are hearing this conversation. Some of them are likely at some point to need some kind of surgery, whether running related or not. What do you say to the runners listening who might be facing a surgery and are nervous? What's your like, Yeah, give them a little, give them a little pep talk. Cause runners, we don't, you know, we just want to run healthy. We hear the word yes. surgery, we freak out. So to the runners listening, what do you say to them to ease any nerves and to reassure them that uh, they'll be running again? Yeah, I, you know, what I tell them and what I do tell my patients is that it's normal to be nervous for this. No one, very, very rarely are people like excited to have surgery and it's, it's normal to be nervous and it's normal to have those questions and those doubts. Um, But, you know, we're going to take the best care of you that we can. We're going to do everything in our power that we can to make sure that your, you know, your feet, your ankles, your knees, your hips, your shoulder, whatever it is, like we're going to do our best to make sure that that is as awesome, as perfect as we can get it. You know, surgery is really a a field for people who are perfectionists and like that's, that's what we strive in. So we're going to do our best to make sure that it is as perfect as it can be that, you know, you're feeling as good as humanly possible after these surgeries, you know, you might have some pain and it might be a slow road and it might take some time to get back there, but you, we will totally get you back there. There's great therapists, like shout out to all my physical and occupational therapists. You guys are amazing. And I appreciate you 100%. And we will get you back there and get you back to running healthy. You know, it, you're nervous because it, this is something that matters to you. And this is something that is, you know, it's, it's scary, but we will do our best. Um, you know, we take pride in giving patients our 100% best every time that we scrub into their surgeries or every time that we're in their surgeries and it's no different for them. Yeah. It's a long road, but, but we'll get back there. We, we will just got to trust the process. And if there's, you know, something, you know, even in a pre-op visit or when you're first seeing someone, you're like kind of anxious. If you're like, I don't know if surgery is a good choice or maybe I should do something different. It's okay to get a second opinion. Like do that, do whatever you need to do to like be comfortable with your decision. If you're maybe like, Oh, I don't know if I really click with my physician or my, you know, my surgeon, you know, find someone, you know, find other people, get other people involved. That's totally okay. I will not be offended. I can say as a whole, as orthopedic surgeons, we will not be offended. We want the best for you. Um, and we need to, you know, you to do what makes you feel comfortable. All right. Well, I hope I never need surgery, but if I do, I'm coming to Sioux Falls because you are amazing. I love your passion for your work. I love your energy. And I just appreciate you coming on here and giving all of us this amazing pep talk. I appreciate it so much. Yes. Yes. You're so welcome. And thanks for having me on, Allie. I mean, I am so, I love following you on all things social media. You're hilarious. Positive splits for positive people was my mantra at like my last marathon. So I just, I love it so much. And I'm so honored to be on here. And I hope that I, 
you know, either showed a little bit more of orthopedic surgery aside people don't see and maybe, you know, encourage some other people to go into it. But, you know, more than anything, just increase some you know, knowledge about the field. And we're not scary. We're really nice. And, you know, come hang out with us. Like, we're great. But, you know, you can be injured. And that's, you know, we'll take care of you, too. But you can also hang out with us not injured. Like, we're really nice. So... <laughs> Oh, I love you so much. And I'll end this by saying it's a beautiful day to save lives. Yes. Yes. And, um, and, you know, I need to get like a little fairy cap like Meredith Grey. I don't think anybody here would get it, but I need to get one. Yeah, we can find that for you. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning into the second episode of the On the Job series on the Alley on the Run show. And thank you to Kelly for teaching us so much and for being a strong, powerful, inspiring voice for women in medicine. In addition to this new weekly series, remember, regular episodes of the Alley on the Run show are still coming your way every Thursday. The best way to make sure you don't miss out on a thing is to subscribe to the show in the podcast listening app of your choice. While you're there, how about leaving a rating and review for the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts? I have this goal to hit 1,000 reviews by May 6th, and I would love your help in getting there. We're at like 800, so we're close. If you do leave a review, let me know. I'm Allie on the Run 1 on Instagram and Twitter. I'm on the Allie on the Run Show Facebook page, and I'm thrilled to be a part of the Allie on the Run Show Best Running Friends Facebook group. It's a really happy place. Come and join us. And it's where I found both Kelly, who you heard from today, and Rachel, the archaeologist we all heard from last week. It's a really collaborative, supportive place, and we'd love for you to join us. Finally, let's all give it up for Tracksmith for sponsoring the On The Job series on the Alley On The Run show. Go to tracksmith.com slash on the run and use code on the run 15 for 15% off your first Tracksmith purchase. That's tracksmith.com slash on the run for 15% off. Keep working hard, keep running happy, and thanks for joining me on the run.